0: Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. What I've been doing uh, as of late is I've been teaching um, at a school of ministry that I help oversee in Pigeon Forge. And uh, what I'm teaching on this semester, it's called The Life of Paul. And uh, what I'm teaching on is essentially I'm kind of talking about his life, but I'm also dissecting some of his what i would like to call premier uh books and i'm teaching out of the book of romans and first corinthians and as i have been teaching out of the book of romans uh, i have been absolutely fascinated by some of the doctrines and stuff that we teach still today there has been no other author in the new testament that has greatly impacted Christian theology today as the Apostle Paul, right? And what I want to teach on uh, this morning is a subject that I believe has been um, very misinterpreted. I think we have taken an Old Testament concept and it, we have overlaid it on the New Testament, and that is the lens that we're seeing God through and humanity, and this is what we need to understand, is when we see God wrong, we are going to live our life wrong. We are going to have a negative self-posture, not just in life with our family, but also in worship. So if I were going to end the message today, if I were going to have a strategic ending point in mind, it would be this, to free us of any deception concerning the nature of God as Father. I pray after this that you know Him as Father more than you know Him as God. I am not taking away the divinity of God. The divinity of God stands But if we see God as some transcendent being beyond us, it's going to affect the way we live our life. But if we see God as a loving father, then we're going to live our lives as sons and daughters, appropriating a correct lifestyle of worship. So what I want to talk about this morning is the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? Of God, And I am not talking about the doctrine of eternal punishment. I'm not talking about this angry, mad, cosmic dictator that is ready just to strike you down if you do something wrong. I'm talking about something that Paul addresses in Romans chapter 1. But before we get to the premier text, let's look at John chapter 3. Go to John chapter 3, verse 30. Actually, we'll start at verse 31. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. This is actually uh, John the Baptist. He did not write the book of John, but he is speaking here in this portion of the text. And he says in verse 31, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. He's contrasting Jesus and humanity. 32. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. Verse 33. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Very interesting. It says that the wrath of God actually already abides on the unbeliever. Earlier, the condition of humanity is spelled out very clearly. They said, look, this is the judgment that men love darkness rather than light. And if you love darkness rather than light, the wrath of God is like a static force working over you and on the inside of you. And see, what what, what I think we've done is when looking at this subject, looking at this doctrine, looking at this theological kind of mystical Subject that we don't understand is we confuse, listen, beloved, the wrath of God with the day of wrath. The wrath of God with the day of wrath. The wrath of God is something that we see all around us. We're going to look at that. But the day of wrath is what we call an eschatological event. And what I see in scripture is there's actually two days of wrath. There was one day of wrath... On the cross, where Paul says in the same book of Romans chapter 3, he says Jesus Christ has become the propitiation for our sin, meaning he absorbed the wrath of God, right? And this is the thing. Christians never, ever have to face the wrath of God if they can posture their life in Christ. The day of wrath is for those that are not in Christ because if you're in Christ, essentially Jesus Christ has absorbed the wrath of God on that day. Malachi says before the great and the terrible day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord for you and me was the cross and that was the day that we received punishment in him for our sin. But the terrible day of the Lord is that day of wrath, that eschatological event, that event beyond in the latter days where God is going to judge the world for their sins. But this is the thing, we look at God like He's just ready to strike us down for every bad thing that we do, but that is not the nature of God. What I've learned in this house is this, is we're not judged because of our sin, we're judged by our sin. He says it, this is the judgment, for men love darkness rather than light. The darkness that you love is the thing that that does the judging in your life. I tell tell men and women every single week, they say, I don't know why God ripped apart my family. I say, God is not the author of your addiction. You love addiction more than you love God. And that was the darkness that judged you. We're not judged because of our sin. We're judged by our sin. And this future eschatological event, it's simply put that literally what God does, it's the final time where God preserves your right to choose. He says, you've loved darkness your whole life, and I had an answer right there for you. But you loved this more than you loved me, so I've got to turn you over to what you loved more than me. Okay, John chapter 3 verse 36 says the wrath of God right now is abiding on those that don't believe. Let's look at what Paul says in the book of Ephesians, and then we're going to look at the text. Ephesians 2 verse 2, Ephesians 2 2. Verse 2, Paul says this, to the church of Ephesus, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works, in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all, not some, all, once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Look what he says. And we're by nature, children of wrath. We're by nature, children of wrath. We have tasted and we have experienced the wrath of God the moment we came into this world. But see, we look at the wrath of God as the anger of God, the eternal separation that God does because he's just so sick and tired of our sin and the thing we keep going back to. That's not what it's talking about. Let's go to our text, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the book of Romans, Paul actually wrote from the town of Corinth between, actually right between 57 and 58 A.D. in the winter And he hadn't been there yet, but he longed to go. You can see in chapter 1, he says, I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. And then he's actually picking up his, I love this, it's like a theological treatise of our faith. That the just shall live by faith. But before he reveals the righteousness that would come, he reveals the unrighteousness that men are walking in. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God. Everyone just say wrath. So I know you're with me. Wrath. Say it again louder. Wrath. For the wrath of God is revealed. Greek word apocalypto. It means it's manifested. It's seen from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Everyone just do something for, for me. I want to show you some. Take your hands like this everyone in the house and just do this. He's saying, men suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Look what he says in verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse 21 because although they knew God I'm going to pick this up in a little bit based upon Romans chapter 1 there's no such thing as atheism that's what it says although they knew God they did not honor him as God what did they do? they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness there is a knowledge of God on the inside of every man you can't deny it You can't walk away from it. All you can do is verbally spew out garbage saying God does not exist. That's why the Bible says a fool says there is no God. Based upon Romans 1, it doesn't exist. The person that does not believe in God does not exist. They know. 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became Futile means empty, their thoughts, their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Birds, four-footed animals, creeping things. 24. What are we talking about in this text? The law first mentions, what does it say? It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. He's introducing this concept of the wrath of God. What does he say in verse 24? Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. When you're studying Scripture, beloved, you need to look at words or phrases that the author uses again and again. He's talking about the wrath of God. He's saying there's no such thing as atheism. He's saying... Essentially, the problem of humanity is man loved their own image more than God. And then God's response to that reality is this. God also gave them up to uncleanness. The lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Not a lie. The lie. What is the lie? That the creature worshipped the creature more than the creator. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, what did God do? Say it. What does it say? He gave them over. He says it once in 24. In verse 26, he says the same phrase again. God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due for 28 and even as they did not like to retain god in their knowledge god did what say it over louder come on Gave gave them over he uses that phrase three times to illustrate the wrath of god god gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting Being filled with all righteousness, sexual morality, And then he goes through a list of sins in the flesh. What's very interesting here, though, is he introduces this vague, theological, complex subject called the wrath of God. We read it. We read the premier text I'm preaching out of this morning. And then he goes through and he says, look, all of creation has done this one thing. It's the one lie." They've worshiped creation over the Creator. I'm going to throw out some stuff this morning. Hopefully it won't make you mad. Hopefully it will just open your eyes to maybe the condition of the world that you don't understand or maybe your own condition that you're wrestling with. Paul introduces the wrath of God and then essentially what happens is he goes and the first sin besides idolatry That is listed explicitly is the sin of homosexuality. Interesting. Everyone just smile at me. (laughs) Smile. Come on. I listen, I am not here to be a preacher of the gospel and to use the word of God as a whipping post against people I don't understand. In fact, I would rather stand with a wounded group of people than an angry church casting stones at them. Well, brother, where's that in Scripture? John chapter 8. Jesus stands with a woman that is caught in the very act of adultery and essentially he's taking a posture of standing between an angry church called the Sanhedrin and a woman caught in the very act. No stones here. There's no stones here. But I find it fascinating that Paul uses this explicit sin when talking about all of humanity. I wish I had like a (laughs) The mystery of the gospel. Paul is painting a picture and he's saying all of creation has done one lie. They've worshiped creation over the creator. And then he says, now let me just mess everyone up that's ever going to read this letter and let me focus in on this one Sin And let me get a little bit deeper here. Let me make the suspense a little bit more wild. Paul translates the word wrath with the word orge, where we get orgy. You guys are like, oh my gosh. Read the Bible. It's amazing. Yes, God, the Holy Spirit is using the word orgy. And if you tune your attention to the screens, I'm gonna show you what it is. I'm just joking. Just joking. Just joking. Trying to make you laugh because it's gonna get real in here. We'd never do that. Come on. He uses the word orge in Greek, where we get the word orgy, and it's translated passionate, violent, sexually intense. And he uses that word to describe all of you and me. And then, he focuses on this one sin. Why does he do that? He focuses in on this one sin. In church, the church of Jesus Christ, I want to propose to you that Paul is not picking on the homosexual. He's using that particular sin as the best example of what all of humanity has done. We have loved our own image more than the image of God. That's why he says we worship creation over the Creator and I'm tired of going to churches and I bless, I thank God, that's why I've been seated in this house for 12 years, that this is not one of these houses that preach because that sin is wrong because of the Bible is says it's wrong we actually explain it we say things like that is not the highest expression of the worth between a man and a woman we don't just say because the Bible condemns it, the Bible condemns the act why is it wrong? besides God doesn't want you loving your own image more than his Why is that particular sin wrong? Let's talk about it for a little bit. It's because in the beginning, God created Adam actually as both male and female. Did you know that? It says he took the woman out of the man. And he called the woman a man or a womb man or a man with a womb. Now this is my opinion. Don't throw stones. Don't strike me down. Just go look at it. I believe that Adam maybe could have reproduced uh, sexually before Eve had been created. Why? It's because he was holy. And listen, God needed nothing outside of himself to produce his image. Again, God needed nothing outside of himself to produce his image. If God needed something outside of himself to produce himself, he would not be holy. What's the coolest thing that God could ever look at? A mirror. You're the mirror of God. That's why he finds pleasure in you. But he looked at, I'm not saying he made a mistake. God does not make mistakes. You are not a mistake. I'm not a mistake. Creation, what is a mistake? But he said, there's a higher principle here that if I leave Adam, all one. Remember, God said it's not good for man to be alone. You know what that means? Look at the Hebrew. It means All one. Not good for men to be alone. A,L, separate that, one. All one. Not good for Adam to be all one. So what do I need to do? I need to take the woman out of the man to teach man to love someone that is not himself, that does not look like himself. I need to teach man to love someone that's not like him. Because I find the best lessons in theology when I get to know my wife. Because there's a part of the nature of God in her that is not in me. That's why I believe in women in ministry. Because when they get up here and flow, and they preach, and they sing, and they bring down the fire, we are seeing a part of the nature of God that is not reduced to one man. Man and female created he them, called their name Adam took the woman out of the man. God said, Adam, I want you to love someone that's not like you so you're not self-absorbed and selfish, and I want you to lay down your life for her. So that's why this sin that Paul points in Romans chapter 1 is such a sin because when two men are there together, that is half the image of God. When two women are there together, that's half the the image of God And you can never make and reproduce the image of God with two men or two women. Male and female coming together as one, then we can reproduce the image of God in holiness through marriage. Amen? Amen. But let's talk about why he says that about everyone. Well, Pastor, I've never committed that sin. Chances are the first sexual experience that you ever had was with yourself. You love me? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Is Paul calling us all gay? He's just saying you're in love with the same sex, the sex of yourself. You worship creation more than the Creator. You worship your own image more than the image of God. I personally believe, let me just just be real provocative. I think we're all born addicts. Oh my God, Pastor, that goes against my recovery model. Not, listen, no, no, listen, listen, stay with me. I believe we're fundamentally DNA flawed, called sin. I'm not saying we can isolate a gene, but I'm saying we are all born addicted to God, but we don't know it. We spend our life trying to fill up this void within with everything but God. The definition of sin is missing the mark. We were created, God's premier intention for man's creation was to be so focused on his face that we would not be captivated by anything around us. One voice, one face. But we're born skewed with sin. We're born addicted to God but that addiction has mis- been misdirected, misappropriated for everything but him. So we find worth in everything outside of God, deal with pain and rejection, and then there comes a moment when we get touched with the power of God. And when you get touched with the power of God through an encounter with Jesus Christ, you should have the awareness of God. This is what I've been looking for. The wrath of God is simply put this. He says it three times. It's easy. It's spelled out, but we don't, we miss it. The wrath of God is when God gives you over to the thing that you love more than him. The wrath of God is not the cosmic light bolt that's going to strike you down on judgment day. The wrath of God is all around us. If you're in disobedience, the wrath of God right now is abiding over you like this static force. But according to Romans chapter 2, he says, It's the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So, ready for this one? The wrath of God is married with the goodness of God. The wrath of God is when he says, Son, daughter, this is going to destroy your life. But I am forced by my nature to allow you to, to let you choose what you want and the conviction of the Holy Spirit I asked my students is the conviction of the Holy Spirit happened before during or after you sin? it's all three it means persuasion he's gonna persuade you not to go in that direction while you're doing it he's gonna persuade you this is wrong and after you've done it he's gonna persuade you back into fellowship with Jesus so the conviction of the Holy Spirit is working with the goodness of God but through wrath God says I've got to allow you to choose what you want more than me. And then that sin, remember, we're not judged by our sin, we're not judged because of our sin, we're judged by our sin. And the sin that we love more than God is the thing that judges us. But God, in His grace and His infinite wisdom, allows us to be destroyed only to a certain point. Only to a certain point. When he gets our attention, when we're in the mire, when we're in the pig pen, we're, when we're in a situation, in a prison, in a relationship, and we've destroyed ourselves, we're in pain, and we don't, nothing makes us happy anymore, because God's given us over the wrath. We're living, it's just living suicide by our own hands, and the Holy Spirit comes and he says, it's my goodness allowed you to get to this point because now you become aware of the thing that has destroyed you. But child, all you have to do is look up and there is always a way. Come on. So he uses this thing called wrath to cast the net on what everyone in this world has done. And he uses this particular sin, and I know that makes some of you guys mad, but maybe you need to check your heart why that makes you mad. We get mad because that sin looks differently than your secret sin. And James is very clear that if you break one point of the law, you are guilty of breaking it all. And the blood of Jesus Christ does not discriminate against anyone. The power of God will redeem the drug addict, the racist, the mass shooter, and yes, even the homosexual. And Paul uses that example to show what the wrath of of God looks like. That we love our own image more than the image of God. We love someone that looks exactly like ourselves. That's why he's writing his spiritual son, Timothy, and he says, In the last days, my son, men will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. Because the condemnation is we love darkness rather than light. What's the answer to this wrath? The wrath on the unbeliever, and even the wrath that the child of God chooses. See, I was. Correcting my child. And I believe in corporal punishment. Bless God. Amen? (laughs) All right. But I also believe in wrathful punishment. Once I got this illustration. I have a four-year-old. I love her so much, but she's totally different than my seven-year-old. All I have to do is look at my seven-year-old, and she'll stop doing what she's doing. I mean, I just got to look at her. Blake? that little four-year-old though, she is just, man, she's just, all she wants to do is rebel. I'm like, I'm like, what, what in the world have I done wrong? It's like this little terrorist running around destroying everything around her house and she just will not listen to me. And she is so curious with things that will destroy her. I'm like, and God's like, that's you. That's you. You created yourself, right? <laughs> Except with long hair, right? With different biology, that's you. Right? And one day she was there and I, I was I was cooking some eggs and the stove was on and she goes right up to it and she knew because I was like, Ember, get back, and she goes, she just, she just bull rushes right in, and she just looks at me. I, did, I was like, Don't touch that. Conviction. That's gonna hurt. Ember, don't touch that. That's gonna hurt. That's gonna burn you. She looks at me. And what I do, I step back, said, All right, that's wrath giving her over. Now, I'm not going to allow her to, like, smush her face on it, okay? But the end of her finger, right? She touches it. She burns. She cries. And I say, Amber, that stove will burn That's a picture of the wrath of a father. I didn't beat her. I wasn't aggressive towards her. I just gave her over to do the thing that she wanted to do more than what I was telling her to do. Amen? What's the answer? Some of y'all think I'm a terrible parent, but it's okay. Great lesson. All right. Romans chapter 5. Last verse. Dan, Pastor, can you come up here? Where are you? I can't see over there. Are you there? There you are. You guys love our worship leader? Come on. Yes. Last scripture. Five chapters later after Paul introduces this wrath then talks about hey if you judge that sin you're, you're just as guilty for doing something else and then he talks about it's called, it's called the Acropolis of the New Testament chapter 3 that we were justified freely by his blood and then in chapter 4 he talks about how God called Abraham by faith did you know Abraham was also a Gentile at one point we look Oh, with God's just saving the Jews. No, Abraham, the father of the Jews, was at one time a Gentile. Chapter four and then chapter five, verse six says, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Verse eight But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, God allowed us to stay sinners. And even when we were denying him, saying no to him, he still died for us. What great love is that? Verse nine, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Through Him. We we take that scripture talking about at the final judgment. You can be saved from the wrath of God of the thing that you're destroying yourself with right now, at this very moment, through Him right now. When you say, God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would get my attention. I pray that you would convince me right now that your way is better than my way. And the love and the mercy and the grace of God will come in that very moment. And all you need is a touch from the hand and the finger of God to be eternally made free from the thing that is binding you. See, I'm not, I haven't been in ministry for 40 years like our elite pastors, but I've been in ministry for 12 years. And see, what I've learned about the sin of the church is sin in the church is just a lot more sophisticated. We hide. We don't talk. We don't confess. Because we're afraid of what people are going to think of us we are in the business of preserving our own image the very thing in that moment that god is saying why are you loving your your image more than mine so i just want to ask you a question if everybody can just close your eyes in this house we're going to end right here if you see you know, if you say you know what pastor i have been struggling. I'm not even going to ask you to come up here. I'm just going to ask you to acknowledge it and look at me. Because I believe sometimes we make an idol out of the altar. And God wants an altar to be erected in your heart. Because chances are there will not be an altar in your home, but there will always be an altar in your heart. If you say, you know what, I'm in this web where I just can't get out of this thing and I feel like I'm literally destroying myself and I know this is the thing that honestly I'm loving more than God but I know it's not right and I need a convincing and I need a touch because I can see that the direction that I'm going there can be nothing good at the end if that's you, I just want you to look at me I just want you to look at me Amen. Come on. Just look at me. Just look at me. I see you. Just look at me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just look at me. Hallelujah. Just look at me. Stay looking. Open your eyes. So, Father, right now, you saw every acknowledgement. And Father, I pray that you do what I cannot do. I can speak to men, but the Holy Spirit can speak within man. Father, I pray that my words have not just bounced off hard flesh, but I pray that it would be like a Hebrews 4 moment, that it would divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Every person that has looked at me, that acknowledged that they have been experiencing wrath because they have loved what they were doing more than they loved God. Father, I pray right now your mercy and your grace and your love would come. I just declare over this house and every person that has acknowledged that, you are not disqualified by what you have been doing. I declare right now in Jesus' name that God loves you so much. He He allowed you to continue doing it so you would come to the end of that thing and acknowledge that his will is better than your own. That God will allow us to camp out in the pig pen so we understand that I would rather be in my father's house. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Father, I pray that your word would just go in I pray as your psalmist says, we would hoard our word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Holy Spirit, I ask if there's anybody sick in their body, I pray in the name of Jesus that there would be a touch, that this is not just for people that can't get out of the lifestyle that they're in, but this is for people that are hurting, that their lifestyle maybe has nothing to do with the infliction in their body. So Father, I pray that healing would go forth In every single person in this house in the name of Jesus and I pray that they would understand God that we are saved from the wrath of God through being in Jesus what does that mean what does this in him dimension mean to me right now it means that as long as you are looking at his face as long as you are acknowledging him and his word in your life It's really hard to look away from the face of Jesus when you have a glimpse of him. The writer in 1 John says you are purified by seeing him. So, Father, I pray that purification will happen in this house this morning. Father, I pray that every single person in here would be free from judgment. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, God, that you would bring strength home to our families, Lord. Lord. Father, I thank you for this house, God, that we can preach your word in this house, God. That we don't have to be afraid to preach the truth in this house. And I honor and I thank the leadership in this house. In the name of Jesus, amen. Everyone just stand up. Everyone just stand up in this house this morning. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.